He said, you have to understand that when it went in there, it was a rounding error, that I felt like we had infinity dollars in there and that I wasn't even thinking about it. That, that I think, is very revealing. That, that is how SBF treated FTX. I have infinite money. And I was like, where did I put that $5,000? Is it under my desk? Hey, and the reason why they had money. to send it to Alameda is because they knew FTX could not get bank accounts. It's not less like, oopsies, we don't have bank accounts to send it to Alameda. Like, that's, it's their biggest problem. Bankless Nation, it is the first Friday of October. I mean, October. <laughs> David, what time is it? Oh, it's time for the Bankless Friday Weekly Roll-Up, Ryan, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, especially this week. It's one of those weeks, yet we persevere into the frontier nonetheless. How are you? David, are you are you team uh, October? You think it's going to be an up month, down month? What do you think? Uh, I'm not ready to be hurt again, so I have no strong opinions. <laughs> You've been hurt too many Octobers previous. Not, just to like there's so many reasons to be we? bullish. And if yeah. I keep on saying like, look at all these reasons to be bullish. And then we get like $1,200 ether. I'm going to be like, it did it to me again. It's that time in the market, but okay. Yeah. But let's contrast this with October last year. All yeah. right. So October last year, it was just before the fall of SBF. Yeah. Right. We were and we watching got through an absolutely grueling summer uh -huh. where we had like the collapse of Terra Luna. Mm -hmm. We had right. uh, three hours capital liquidation. We had right. triple digit ETH. It was an absolute grueling summer, uh -huh. 2022. And here we were in October and we're getting ready to take a breath and be like, oh man, right. that was crazy. We're that on the other crazy. side of that. And yeah, I'm so glad all of that's over. Like we're good, right? <laughs> like that wasn't so bad. Like it, it, yeah. we're, we're good. We made we're good. it. We made it. <laughs> And <laughs> then what happened? Meanwhile, CZ and SBF are just duking it out on Twitter. Yeah, that was a year yeah. ago. That was a year ago. But we got some SBF news. Now, yeah. one year later, what, what's happening with SBF this week? The SBF trial has begun. It began on Tuesday. So there's been the jury selection that has happened. So we know who the jurors are. Uh, the opening statements have come out from each side, both the prosecution and the defense. So we know what their general strategies gist is. Uh, we've had the first witnesses. Uh, so the first witness has come on. And then we have today, Thursday, the second round of witnesses uh, some familiar names that you will be familiar with. Uh, all of that happened this week. It's going on, and it will go on for the remaining six weeks of this whole thing. So we will recap it all and also tell you what's to come. But that's not all, Ryan. What else is going on? The ETH Futures ETF Derby. Okay? Remember last week we said we might have ETH Futures by Monday, and boom, we got ETH Futures. So we're going to talk about that. Who's in the arena? Who's ahead in the race? What all of this means for crypto? The SEC takes another L. Gary just can't stop losing. But to top yes. it all off, Suzu of Three Rose Capital arrested in Singapore while trying to leave the country. And the <laughs> order is out for Kyle Davies' arrest as well. Kyle Davies on the run. Man, like that's just good stuff, man. But then, of course, the market's not necessarily doing following suit. So this is why I'm yeah. saying I'm not ready to get hurt again. Well, not ready to get hurt again, not ready for October, though there are some believers. We'll talk about that in the market section. But before we get there, David, it's back to school time. <laughs> and I'm not talking about regular school. I'm talking about crypto startup school, my friend. This is from A16Z. What is crypto startup school? A16Z crypto startup school is famous. It is a, an accelerator, a 12-week accelerator program with some of just the biggest entrepreneurs and founders as your mentors in the industry, along with a lot of the partners at A16Z. 
Uh, and so you apply, you apply with your startup and you apply to the school and then you get ac- accepted, hopefully, to go and be a part of this accelerator. Uh, we at Bankless Ventures look at a lot of the startups that come out of accelerator programs like this, especially A16Zs. Uh, and so uh, being accepted to the A16 startup school is, I, w- I would call that bullish. Uh, so l- like I said, 12-week program is in London. Uh, from March 27th in London in Britain. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it's just like some straight market experience. Don't get your MBA. Don't do that. Uh, just go to a 16 c crypto startup school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a startup MBA. I, I can't recommend a program like this enough. Chris Dixon, of course, is a mentor there. Jing Wang from, from Optimism, mm-hmm. just absolutely world-class. Um, I don't think anyone else does it better. And the call to action is if you are a crypto founder, Web3 founder, make sure you hit the deadline and apply to A16Z Crypto Startup School. You got to do this by October 20th, 2023. 15 There's days. a link in the show notes. 14 days. 14 days. 15 days. Get on it. Yeah. Let's do it. This is the build market. Yeah. So let's get building. David, market section. Let's talk about it. What's Bitcoin price doing on the week? Bitcoin price, happy, up 2%, 26,900 where we started. We are up 600 more dollars to 27,500, up 2% on the week. Nice job, big. Ooh, we kind of erased a little bit of the gains. A little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. All right, just a little hopefully bit. 2% by the time you're listening overall, to it. Overall, uh, what, a good, good 30 days, good 30 days. ETH price, yeah. uh, starting the week at 16,060, down 2%, WTF. Mm. At sixteen twenty, Bitcoin up two percent, Ether down two percent. What gives? I don't know. Yeah, ETH got futures. <laughs> Bitcoin, <laughs> what, what did you get this week? What, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> you didn't get futures. You already had those. How come ETH is down? Stop all the good Sad. news. It's bearish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, how about the ETH Bitcoin ratio? ETH Bitcoin ratio below point zero six at point zero five nine. Gotta thank the Kraken charts for yeah. this. These charts so are glorious. Tell me you know. exactly I, how I don't bad like I the feel candle direction. High fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh-uh, uh, this is October. Everything changes, David. How about uh, crypto market cap? One point one two trillion dollars. I feel like it's always that. Yeah, it really is. is does man. this ever change week yeah. to week? Do you, it's pretty flat. Do you remember when prices used to change? <laughs> They've just been no, look at all this super flatness. flat. It's about a year of flatness. It's, you know, it's the, a year of like the... slight incline up. Well, because, well, okay, a year ago, October, prices were maybe around where we they are now, and then they dumped. Bitcoin, yeah. Bitcoin set its yearly low one, 11 months ago. Ether set it, hmm. set it like 15 or 16 months ago. Yeah, what a, what a year it's been, hon. Um, how about layer twos? This is a different chart than we usually use. Growthepie.xyz. This is actually somebody from the Bankless Nation. It's got some different nice. analytics on it versus layer two beat. The layer two user base, David, you checking these numbers? This is the number of unique addresses interacting with layer two networks in a given week. And uh, what are these numbers um, that we're looking at here? The, uh, the shape of the chart, first and foremost, are shapes that I enjoy. That is an up and to the right chart. Yeah, what is that number? 2.2 million unique addresses across all Ethereum layer twos in the last week. And that's, wow, yeah, that's great. That's pretty that's impressive. Uh, ZK Sync um, Era coming in at one million. Arbitrum coming in at almost a half a million. OP Mainnet almost two hundred thousand. Base one hundred seventy thousand. Immutable X two hundred fifty twenty five thousand. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I enjoy looking at it from this perspective. You can also see the uh, the, the transaction count oh, three point eleven million. Uh, you can see the stable coin market, market cap. cap on on layer. And that's two, just great signal. Yeah, whoever put yeah. these whoever uh, put these particular metrics together, 
Uh, love that. Oh, you, well, you can definitely tell that it's a bankless listener because they have rent paid to the layer one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the words we use. He's vague. <laughs> what is that? Uh, 176 mm-hmm. um, K. I, I guess that's on the a daily, maybe the month. A daily. That's a 24 hour. Oh, number. daily, daily. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that yep. on the daily yeah, fees yeah, paid yeah. users. Very useful. So some good signs as, as usual in the layer two markets. Uh, it doesn't look like mm-hmm. a bear market in layer two land. David, let's get to some market news, okay? The question is, is this going to be October or is this Rectober? We've got two contrasting opinions here. Let's talk about the happy one, the October one. And this is coming from Bitcoin land. Apparently, Octobers, historically, David, have been pretty good for Bitcoin. Uh, not all of them, but many of them have been. And that's the, the base case for Bitcoin October. What's this tweet telling us? Uh, It's saying eight out of the last 10 Octobers were positive for Bitcoin with an average gain of 22%. That's double digits. Been a while since we've seen double digits. Uh, and then they also go through some uh, looming bullish catalysts specifically for this October. Uh, ETF approval coming soon at TM is what people are speculating. Uh, marketing pushes by, of course, you know, the big boys, BlackRock, Fidelity, Franklin, Templeton. Um, there's bond markets are forcing central bank intervention. We did kind of a show, a macro show this week uh, that was fo- talking a little bit about that. Just the inevitability of, of course, the money printer being turned back on. We don't know when, but it will, it will be inevitable. That's kind of the theory. Um, awareness of U.S. debt starting to become more than what we can service. So we have more in interest payments than we make as money as a country. It's just healthy financials. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, the happening in Doing early great. 2024. Bitcoin uh, gets its happening, I think, in March, late March. Uh, and so the issuance of Bitcoin uh, will be cut in half, of course. This is traditionally being considered a, a ceremony of, of Bitcoiners. I don't, well, I don't think Bankless has existed since we've had a Bitcoin happening, I think we started Bankless right after the last happening. Uh, so this will be is ba- that true? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Bankless. When was the last happening? May eleventh, twenty twenty. So the podcast had started, the company had not. Yeah, we were probably four or five podcasts in by that time, yep. and we celebrated happening then. And um, no, yeah, no, we were we were four to, to five crypto. months in. So multiply that by four. Wait, wait, wait. When was it? What month? May of twenty twenty. May. Yeah. Oh, we started in March, right? 2020? Uh, we started in... April, May. I thought we started in January, bro. No, 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 no. It was... I think our first episode was the beginning of March 2020. Uh, yes. listeners no, you're right. You're right. you're right. You're right. Because the second one we uh, recorded while COVID was uh, decimating the markets. But yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was absolutely That was brutal. extremely distracting. <laughs> and I think here's the key point here. The weak hands have been brutally shaken out brutally. during the market, right? Brutally. Brutally. <laughs> 76%, that's Bitcoin or talk, 76% of supply is now in the hands of long-term holders, all right? And so with these bull catalysts, it can't really go down right. much further because the high conviction diamond hands are the ones holding the Bitcoin at this point. So, you know, um, that that's the bull case, I guess, for, for October. Now, whether that happens in October or it takes a little bit longer, I mean, who's to say? But uh, it's a fun meme. Arthur Hayes, however, is taking the other side here. He's calling this Rectober. And he's not so much talking about crypto as he is. He's talking about um, the banking sector. Okay. Uh, They say, he says, the banking crisis is contained. Nah, it's about to be Rectober. (laughs) Thanks, Jay Powell and Grandma Yellen for the bear steepener that will bankrupt the banks. Grandma Yellen. (laughs) Grandma Yellen, he calls her. Small bank index only 8% higher than April lows. Yahtzee. So he's saying... Do you know when we were talking about the bank crisis yeah. last March, April? 
He's saying, well, we've been on a pause, but it's about to come back around. I didn't know this. Small bank index only 8% higher than April lows, right? So mm. the small banks certainly haven't recovered right. from those lows. And uh, Arthur here, more than implying, explicitly saying that worse is coming for the banking sector. It might require some more bailouts here, David. There is one thing I've learned about Arthur in the last like year or so. He's kind of a bombastic individual. I would say <laughs> you just learned. I that just learned that recently. <laughs> yeah, yes, he is fairly bombastic. Although the, he's not, the small bank index only wrong, being eight percent higher uh, is what was predicted, yeah. like universally across the board. So that's yeah. playing out. Yeah, we'll have to see. Here's one thing that is pretty easy to see, though: the U.S. adding two hundred and seventy-five billion in debt. In what's the interval? One day, David. Whoa. One day, <laughs> two hundred seventy-five not... billion in debt. Yo, what, so this is what's it. the uh, crypto market cap right now? One point one trillion, and we added. Yeah, we added over one a quarter Ethereum. of the. <laughs> we added an Ethereum of market cap to our debt, like an th- Ethereum per day. This is one of what the bull case for crypto is. It's like we are an absolute dust speck into the size of the debt that we are accumulating, <laughs> and yes. the relationship between yes. these two things, that gap must close. That is the cr- case for crypto. Like the, the gap between the size of the United States debt and the market cap of crypto closes over time. That is, that's the bull case. And remember, we are minuscule, absolutely minuscule to the size of debt. Yeah, look at this. Um, total U.S. debt is now $33 trillion. It hit $33 trillion two weeks ago. It's now it's $33.5 trillion, and it's on pace to rise by $1 trillion in one month. So the totality of crypto market cap in one month That's absurd. is being added to that US That is absurd. Debt. Yeah. Zero Hedge, what WTF is going on? That's a big question. What are the implications of this when the U.S. is getting to wartime debt levels as a percentage of GDP? One interesting question on the minds of fintech this week is um, maybe yields are continuing to rise because China has stopped buying bonds. Mm has stopped buying U.S. treasuries. Mm. And so this is a a chart I found this week making the case that uh, China's kind of done with treasuries. Um, This is a chart showing the holdings of U.S. treasuries on China's central bank balance sheet going down all the way from um, 2012 up to 2023, going down by as much as $300 billion. Well, it was was flat from 2012 to maybe 2018, 2019, 2020. And since 2020, it's been accelerating downwards. Yes. So So the bulk of this this selling has has happened in the last four years. This chart looks like China is is kind of selling, right? And that's the thing. When when the U.S. um, increases its debt, it has to have buyers. Of that debt, mm-hmm. who are the buyers going to be? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be baby boomers, wealthier generations? Are they right. going to be pension funds? Are they going to be foreign governments? I mean, historically, there's been a ton of demand, mm-hmm. uh, mostly in the form of central bank balance sheets. China has been buying a lot. Uh, Japan has been buying a lot. What happens if they reverse course? I, I guess there's also been some debate about this. You know, some other people are saying, well, China's really not selling that much as far as treasuries. They're still continuing to buy. Uh, apparently, the data set here is pretty uh, pretty opaque. It's not very transparent. So it's hard to tell exactly what China is doing. So there's some some back and forth. But I don't know. Like my TLDR is, um, if you're China, are you bullish on U.S. bonds? Or are you bearish, yeah. considering what's going on? Considering one trillion in debt is being added uh, every single month at this point in time, right. and the U.S. is at 
as relative to GDP, kind of World War II right. level of debt ratios. What would you do if you were a central banker? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not like the fiscal situation in the United States is great, but it's also not like anywhere else is any better. Like a decent amount, a significant amount of this kind of capital that we're talking about is going to stay in foreign asset currencies or their foreign asset bond markets, right? It's not like China is saying like, hey, we have decided that we are going to be short United States bonds and long equities or gold like that. We're talking apples and oranges here. Uh, and so like, you know, remember, like as bad as the United States fiscal situation is, it's more or less worse everywhere else. Uh, I mean, Argentine peso, for example, is inflating at 100, over 100% a year. Um, and the Argentine peso doesn't have a large market cap, uh, but we do have to kind of put these things in perspective, I will say. I think that's a good point. And maybe being the least bad fiat is going yes. to be enough for the, the U.S. Being for the some least bad of time. fiat is pretty bullish in fiat terms. That said, is it bear, is it bullish compared to other non-fiat assets? I ask you. Yeah. All right, as as ether is hovering at only two hundred billion dollars, uh-huh. the amount of debt the the U.S. puts on its balance sheet in a single day. Uh, that's a question to ponder, my friend. But we got a lot more coming up next, David. What are we talking coming about? Coming up next, the SBF trial begins. Everything that you need to know, along with the opening shot of the ETH ETF Derby. But of course, and also Suzu's arrested. So get your Schadenfreude hat on because that's where we're going. But first, a moment to talk about all these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for crypto in 2023. If you're not having an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to get signed up with Kraken today. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Cello is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Cello Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Cello's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Cello Layer 2 on the Cello Forum. So has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Cello Layer 2 will bring huge advantages, like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one-block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. But Celo is a community governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. The SBF trial has begun, David. This is getting mainstream attention to. It's not just crypto. I'm not. I'm not trying to say this is as big as the '90s uh, OJ trial, okay? But <laughs> it seems like it's a it's a big deal here, and uh, the stakes couldn't be higher for SBF, mm-hmm. okay? On the one side, he could be acquitted of all of his uh, criminal charges here. On the other side, he could be facing 110 years in prison. That's a lot of years, okay? That's a lot of years. So, so give us the update. The trial just started this week. What's going on? Yeah, specifically on Tuesday in Manhattan, federal court in Manhattan. Uh, so just to set the table here, SBF, he's pleaded not guilty to seven accounts of wire fraud and securities fraud and other conspiracies. 
Uh, he's maintained his innocence since his arrest last December, while also starting to try to shift the blame to others, including FTX's lawyers, as well as uh, his uh, former business partner and ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, who headed up uh, Alameda, of course. Uh, he's just blaming everyone yeah, else. Every, isn't he? he just, just loves not to blame. taking zero responsibility. Blame, blame, blame. <laughs> uh, okay, so how long will this trial last? Uh, expected to last up to six weeks, um, and so this could. This is going to be a theme. We're going to probably have this in the next five weekly roll-ups. Um, the expected defense. Uh, we've we started to get like snapshots of of things to come because we are three days into this whole thing, uh, and so the ex- defense of SBF. What is this? Uh, is that SBF is an inexperienced businessman and was simply in too deep and never really actually knowingly committed fraud. Uh, that's what he's going to say. He's going to hey, say, I didn't know. I just got ahead of right. my skis here. And, you know, <laughs> yep. I was just Sorry. trying to do this crypto thing. Yeah. Crypto's hard, everybody. But, you know, oopsies. Yeah. T- TLDR, they're going for the Sam was just a kid argument. Uh, they're also going for the <laughs> Sam acted oh in good faith argument throughout his time as SBF. So they they made a plea to the jurors. We're going to talk about who the jurors are in a second. They, they made a plea to the jurors of as SB, as FTX was operated, as it was run, as Sam made choices, he was acting in good faith. So they're not they're asking they're pleading to the jurors to not judge SBF in hindsight. They're asking them to fill the position of Sam as he was put through very big decisions and asked for them for their empathy to understand that some hard choices were made by Sam uh, and that they were made in good faith. That is what is being David. requested. I think they're going to have some tweets to explain. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> during this crisis, some of the SBF tweets were not lock- mm-hmm. making a lot of sense if yes. this person is acting in good faith. Yes. The opening but statements what's, what's, from the prosecution actually cited tweets from Sam that Sam has <laughs> since deleted, but you know, you can't really delete anything from the internet. Okay, so what would happen if he's convicted? Right. And how about uh, some of his his cronies? Like uh, right. you mentioned, Caroline yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. earlier. Yeah. So you you gave out the uh, he, up to 110 years in prison is potentially on the table for Sam. I'm sure he's not going to get all of those, but I mean, if you get that would be the max. Yeah, to be the the theoretical max. Uh, Ellison, Wang, and one more Singh. I, I don't know who Singh is. Uh, also, These can, are executives, right? Yeah. All yeah. Uh, Gary Wang is the CTO of FTX. Caroline Ellison of Alameda. Uh, one more executive. They all face potentially decades in prison, uh, but they are likely to get a reduced sentence because they are cooperating against SBF. So when SBF is like, it was them, and they are all like, it was him. Uh, of course. Uh, classic prisoner's dilemma. Classic <laughs> prison, yeah. So we also got an artist's rendition. Uh, if you want to go to the next tab, Ryan. Here, here, oh, that's beautiful. This is here's, great. Here's an artist's rendition of Sam in court. And that is not... That's not uh, accurate, but that's. But aside. I don't know if this is much more flattering than the the yeah. CNN photo yeah, that was yeah, used yeah. here. They gave him a haircut with crazy in, eyes. in his cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so all right, ready for the jurors, the jury selection? Because that was day one. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday. So jury selection matters a lot. It matters right? because it, it, uh, actually, it's kind of like the bulk of it, right? right. Like most of it's deciding decided. his fate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's twelve jurors that decide his fate. And where do these people come from? Are they? Uh, DeFi users <laughs> <Yeah>. that were <laughs> crypto users mm-hmm. that were screwed over by SBF. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. T- tell us about the jury selection, David. So in the jury selection process, it was asked by the juror selectors, uh, are you familiar with this case? And I'm mm. guessing that if they jurors selected said yes, then they were asked to not be jurors. They were like, okay, you get yep. out, get out. Uh, and so the, yep. the jury is composed of a bunch of professions that are like pretty far away from crypto and finance. There is a train conductor. We have a nurse, 
a retired corrections officer, a social worker. Oh, a corrections <laughs> yeah, officer? A corrections officer, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, a social worker, postal service worker, a stay-at-home mom, a high school librarian, one retired investment banker with a Stanford MBA. That would be the closest in relevance that any of the jurors are. Uh, so like okay. notably absent in the uh, jurors are like people that work in tech, legal and finance. Now, like what's the significant lot of regular people, though, regular, old, regular, regular people. old people. Yeah. Like not crypto DJs, like normal, normal people. <laughs> Um, okay. I don't, I'm, this is not, I'm understanding court dynamics is outside my wheelhouse. I would, my gut yeah. take is that like, if they were closer to tech and finance and legal, then Sam would have a worse situation than the current situation. But Martin Screlly, who is familiar with these dynamics, Martin Screlly, of course, the guy that went to jail, uh, for absolute terrible human being, yeah, pretty, not pretty, a friend of the bank. Pretty, show. Yeah. Pretty, pretty not, not a great human. Um, uh, he was, he went to jail for like jacking up EpiPen prices, but subject for a different day. <laughs> he's also, uh, he's actually in crypto. He's actually in crypto. Um, he, oh, he was sadly. the guy that Pleaser Dow, uh, bought the, uh, Wu-Tang Clan album from, and that's why he is bitter about Pleaser Dow. If you remember, this is all aside. And Anyways, know, he just seems like a bitter person, a, but he does know his jury selection. Yeah, he does know his jury from selection. firsthand experience. Yeah. What was he, his take on he this? He generally summed it up as a disaster for SBF. Um, so to looking at who these people are, uh, he's just saying, here's what the social worker would, will do based on like the meme of what a social worker is. They'll convict. convict. Yeah. Non-for-profit fundraiser will convict. The special education teacher will convict. The librarian will send SBF to hell. Now, Martin Screlly <laughs> might be trying to drum up some less engagement on Twitter. I, that he might be oh, doing that. Yes. I'm sure. Yes, yeah. he might be. Uh, so, but uh, I mean, he's got probably one of the best perspectives out there. So take this with a grain of salt, but I think it's useful. Uh, but his TLDR yeah. is that jury selection it does not favor SBF. I don't think it does. And that was just day one was, just day was one. jury selection. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, day two, which was yesterday, mm-hmm. I believe, that's where opening arguments began. Yesterday, so what Wednesday. were the opening yesterday arguments? Yesterday is Wednesday. Opening, opening yes. arguments were that, um, okay, so the prosecution opened with the, a, their arguments that were generally perceived to be cleaner and easier to follow than the defense. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to present the case that SBF was a fraud. Uh, so they use very simple words like SBF lied and SBF stole very repeatedly. Um, the, the line Sam Bankman Freed used his company to commit fraud on a massive scale was, was a quote. Another quote, the money he was using to build his empire, he stole from customers. Uh, and then that's, this is when they cited previous SBF tweets that SBF has since deleted. But again, the internet never forgets. Um, and contrast, they didn't use those. Uh, they didn't use those fancy finance words, no, right? Like uh, margin or collateral or liquidity or any of those scary words. In fact, that's these are the words that the defense used. The defense gave a Oops. little bit more of a convoluted uh, storyline that was a little bit harder to follow. That uh, uh, Mackenzie Siglos from CNBC even said that for crypto people, it was kind of hard to follow. So not great. SBF's lawyer Mark Cohen instead uh, gave the line. Uh, he was a math nerd who didn't like to drink or party and called him Sam a lot. Uh, so, you know, like trying to tug at the heartstrings, like good old Sam. He was acting in good faith. Sammy boy. He didn't drink, didn't party. Didn't drink Don't mention party. the amphetamines, Don't though. Don't mention the amphetamines. Mark. <laughs> okay, so the, the, prosec- the defense asked the court, hey, can we, um, can we strike from the record all talk about recreational drug use? 
And the court was like, oh. <laughs> absolutely not. That is a very relevant factor. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah, wow. That is a part of this whole thing. Okay. Okay. But they had witnesses too. Yes. Who are the witnesses? Uh, we have, uh, this is the next phase of this court. Uh, yesterday, Wednesday, we had the first witness, Mark Antoine Juilliard, who is just a uh, FTX customer, lost $150,000 with FTX. Uh, Mark mm. and it was asked to explain kind of his like due diligence on FTX and also his due diligence on why he kept his money inside of FTX while FTX was employed. So uh, Mark explained that he perceived SBF as wanted to do good by the industry. He said that SBF's tweets in the days leading up to FTX's collapse assured Mark that his money was safe so that he decided to not withdraw his funds. Um, oh, Mark. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. Not getting that back, huh? Right. Uh, so that, that was uh, witness number one. Witness number, number two, Adam uh, Yadidia was a close friend of SBF. He lived in the penthouse, the $35 million Bahaman penthouse with like nine other roommates, uh, software mm. F- engineer at FTX, trader at Al- Alameda, said that he resigned immediately from FTX when he learned that SBF directed FTX to repay Alameda loans with customer deposits. Uh, so like pretty damning to say like SBF acted in good faith when it hit one of the employees was like, yo, I am out of here. Uh, and that was yesterday, those two witnesses. We have some interesting witnesses coming yes. up that are actually on Thursday, as of today, today. the time of recording, right. which um, they, they will have already given testimony by the time you hear this. Mm-hmm. And, and who are those, David? Yeah, uh, very interesting people. Matt Huang of Paradigm. Uh, so one of the two wow. Paradigm co-founders. Why Matt Huang? Well, they were an investor in uh, FTX. Uh, so they have some information mm-hmm. that we would all like to know. Uh, Gary Wong, the CTO of FTX. Uh, and so, you know, this is the prisoner's dilemma and Gary Wong has chosen defect. Uh, so what does Gary <laughs> Wong have to say? Uh, Sam Trabuco, who we have not uh-huh. heard from in a very long time. Who's he again? Remind me, who is he? The, the guy that uh, Caroline Ellison eventually replaced. Sam Trabuco yeeted right. himself out of Alameda forever ago. No one really knows why. Why did he do that? That's right. Yeah. I think we know why I now. I think we might <laughs> find out. But it's going to be the first that we've heard from Sam Trabuco since forever. Uh, and so I think it's a safe assumption to say that he's also choosing defect on the prisoner's dilemma and he's chosen to cooperate with prosecution so that he doesn't go to jail. Um, you know, what's yeah. uh, also interesting this week. Okay. So we've been waiting for this for a long time, but, um, famed financial writer, Michael Lewis, author of the big actually short. writing author of the big short. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, money ball yeah. that turned into a movie, big short turned Great into movie. a movie. Flash, um, Flash Boys. Flash Boys, yeah. Remember Flash Boys, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a um, fantastic book I, I read. He's the, just the blind slide done a lot. Is also him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, one of one of you know, finances most uh, influential writers, I would say, in, in telling stories, telling narratives. He was actually with SBF while all of this was going down because he was prepared to write a uh, a story about SBF, write a book mm-hmm. essentially, and all of this went down. And so he apparently went on 60 Minutes last Sunday, David. Mm-hmm. I didn't see all of the interview, but uh, we've got a few clips. And I, I got to say, he had a completely different yeah. portrait of SBF than the one you've probably heard and are used to from uh, Bankless. So should we play some clips? Yeah, let's do it. These are the first times I've heard these clips, so I'm kind of excited for this. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, by the way, his book is out. His book is out as of a couple of days ago. You think he knowingly stole customers' money, Sam? Put that way, no. So there's another side of this. In the very no, okay. Michael Lewis says no. All right. He Hot doesn't take. think SBF Let's knowingly it. stole money. Let's hear why. Should we let him explain? Let's explain. Yeah. Money into so that it would go to FTX, but it was held 
in Alameda Research, Alameda Research bank accounts. And $8 billion something dollars piles up inside of Alameda Research that belongs to FTX customers that never gets moved. It never gets transferred never over. Never gets transferred. That sounds like a problem. It's a huge problem. What's the toughest question you think Sam's going to have to answer? How do you not know that $8 billion that's not yours is in your private fund? I mean, really, how do you not know? Explain. $8 billion is in your private fund that belongs to other people, and you're saying you didn't know. Please explain how that's possible. Did you do that? Yeah, I did. What did he say? He said you have to understand that when it went in there, it was a rounding error. Why? That I felt like we had it. Why does that mean that SPF didn't know that he stole customers' money? I don't what, know. That, that what is the logic clear. there? It's because apparently FTX couldn't get bank accounts, and so this is why? I don't know. It, it, so he, here's that's uh, Michael incomplete. continuing here. It's yeah. the toughest question you think Sam's going to have to answer. How do you not know that $8 billion that's not yours is in your private fund? I mean, Good really, question. how do you not know? Explain. $8 billion is in your private fund that belongs to other people, and you're saying you didn't know. Please explain how that's possible. Did you do that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What did he say? He said you have to understand that when it went in there, it was a rounding error, that I felt like we had infinity dollars in there and that I wasn't even thinking about it. Uh, I can see people watching this. Uh, that, that, I think, is very revealing. That, that is how SBF treated FTX. I have infinite money. I was like, where did I put that $5 billion? <laughs> is it under my desk? Like, who, did it, who put that $5 billion <laughs> somewhere? Like, yeah. bro. The, the thing here, though, is this is customer deposits. Yeah. Right? And the this reason why they had money. to send it to Alameda is because they knew FTX could not get bank accounts. It's not less like, oopsies, we don't have bank accounts to send it to Alameda. Like, that's, it's their biggest problem. All right, well, let's let God. Michael finish his statement here. Here, here you go. Like, continues. Come on, guys. This is Elizabeth Holmes in cargo shorts, <laughs> and this is all a ruse. Don't fall for the shtick. This is a bad actor. It is a little different supplying, you know, phony medical information to people that might kill yeah. them. And in this case, what you're doing is possibly losing some money that belonged to crypto speculators in the Bahamas. Whoa, whoa, possibly losing the money of crypto speculators in the Bahamas, really belittling what actually happened. Wow. Yeah, I think think so. You can see Michael Lewis, right, speaking on kind of both sides, but almost the sympathetic um, kind of clip for for SBF. Um, It it sounds like he just hung out with SBF for a long time while writing this book and got like, the SBF, I'm a innocent autistic kid charm. That's what it feels like. But you'd you'd have to think that Michael Lewis, author of The Big Short, do you know he's, he's hung out with to, find, penetrate he, this? Yeah, you'd you'd have to think that he's a journalist and would be able to figure this out. So here's where the interviewer Flato asks him, "Was this a Ponzi scheme?" Right. Fun story, and it's crypto in the Bahamas, but this is the oldest architecture of a financial collapse that's been going on for centuries. This isn't a Ponzi scheme. Like, when you think of a Ponzi scheme, I don't know, Bernie Madoff. The problem is it's, there's no real business there. The dollar coming in is being used to pay the dollar going out. And in this case, they actually had a, a great real business. If no one had yeah. ever cast aspersions on the business, if there hadn't been a run on customer deposits, See? they'd still be sitting uh, there making tons of money. Uh, no. Yeah. No. See? Yeah. That, so it continues like this. So of course, what, um, many people, yeah, it, it continues like this. A lot of equivocation for SBF and the predicament he was in. 
it almost sounds a bit like a defense attorney might present this court in case. So I'm not sure where Michael Lewis was coming from on this, but of course, uh, you know, the internet had a lot to say about this in particular corners of crypto. This is Ram Alawalia. Um, what does he say, David? He says, uh, Michael Lewis is a great storyteller, uh, but his, he delivers narratives rather than true understanding. FTX was a money losing business that led to fraud. Uh, FTX was getting armed by their own clients. An exchange can withstand any run on the bank because its deposits are never rehypothecated if it's a good exchange. Uh, basically, Rom is saying uh, FTX was not a good business. They were not making money. <laughs> uh, and that's where the hole came from. Largely. I mean, he sums it up here. FTX raised $2 billion in venture capital, but it had $10 billion in losses. Hmm. Raised $2 billion, you have $10 billion in losses. That's how bad of a business FTX was. What was the difference between those two numbers? Customer funds, Oof. fraud, Oof. $8 billion worth of fraud. I mean, it's a pretty simple story, yeah. honestly. So I, I can uh, do those numbers. Yeah. Well, I will have to, I, I guess, read the book to get Michael Lewis's full take. But um, yeah, that's how it's going. But here's a plot twist, David. Big plot so twist. So apparently, FTX invested in a company. Of course, it was investing in all sorts of things. Yep. One of the things it invested in is equity in a company called Anthropic. What is Anthropic? And, and why is that a plot twist? Why is that relevant here? <laughs> it's an AI startup. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's an AI startup that FTX invested in at a very early round. And Anthropic is currently looking to raise for another round that would boost its valuation to $30 billion, which would make FTX's ownership worth quite a lot. In fact, so much that it might actually be enough to plug the hole that FTX owes creditors if they can find liquidity on their deal. So if they can sell their anthropic ownership on the secondary market to interested buyers, they in theory have enough money to pay back creditors because they made a venture bet that somehow paid off. That massively paid off, wow. you know, like, like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 X, right. something like this. And it's now the stake in Anthropic could be worth three to four and a half billion dollars if they can find liquidity for it. And with that, they could help FTX uh, creditors receive 100% recovery. Okay. So do you think FTX, F, FTX's defense is just going to be like, hey, no one got hurt. Look, these good investments. <laughs> think they'll be able to use that as part of the defense here? Yeah, like Sam doesn't need to go to jail. He, he didn't lose any money. He just delayed. It's effective altruism, yeah, man. He just it doesn't, delayed like, the money. justify yeah. the needs. <laughs> Unreal, It's going to be interesting, but that could be a very good outcome for, for creditors, yes. which, of course, is yes. um, you know, a happy state here. Wow. That was just uh, week one of mm-hmm. the FTX uh, right. SBF case saga. So I'm sure we'll have more to talk about in the weeks to come. But um, David, do you want to get to the ETH Futures Derby? Yes. Yes, I do. That's more I exciting. Do. Yeah. So the ETH Futures Derby is now underway. The uh, starting pistol went off on Monday morning at 930 in the morning. Uh, and so now there are a bunch of ETH Futures ETF from a various number of issuers. Vanek, ProShares, Bitwise, Valkyrie, Kelly, Volatility Shares. Uh, and so they're, they're off. Uh, this is the SEC doing the thing of not king-making any one particular ETF. And so they're allowing nine of them to all launch at once. Uh, and so this has created a competition between all of the ETF issuers who, in their first moments of inception, really need to clamor for market share and mind share, which has created some 
really awesome marketing efforts by some of these uh, organizations. I'd like to highlight one, Van Eck, with two big moves. First, their big move number one, some absolutely hilarious marketing. Uh, we don't have enough time to watch all of their video ads about their ETH futures ETF, but they are really good, this one's I'd say, it. and the, very Zoomer. Yeah, let's watch this one. Just close your eyes to enter the ether. The ether is within you. <laughs> Prepare to harness the potential of Ethereum. Now finally in an ETF form. Coming soon. <laughs> There's just a goat at the end that boss. Uh, <laughs> I don't know great. why. There that's are great. okay. If well, you go to the Vanek, you want some entertainment. Go to the Vanek Twitter account. Just like scroll down because like there's there's some just they're getting great excited memes. about ETFs right now. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, uh, not going to do it. The point is that they are actually advertising these to like TradFi. This is not for the crypto yeah. people. This is for TradFi. Yeah. Um, that's big move number one. Some of their most uh, their hilarious marketing. And I, again, I can't emphasize enough. Some great Zoomer meme uh, videos that are worth watching. Big move number two out of Van Eck, donating 10% of their ETH futures ETF profits to the Protocol Guild. What's the Protocol mm. Guild? The Protocol Guild is this organization. It's kind of like this DAO that is um, an effort to unbundle the EF. Uh, and so a lot of Ethereum core developers are a part of Protocol Guild who are building and maintaining the e Ethereum code base, uh, just like the, it's the, the ETH core devs and related people. Uh, and so 10% of the Vanek ETH Futures ETF profits gets donated to the Protocol Guild. This tweet thread announcing this and talking about like their decision behind this got 3,500 likes, which is a lot. We got Tim Bako retweeting it saying, very cool to see a TradFi company directly fund Ethereum core development out of its profits. Hope that they can set an example for many of the businesses in this space that are building on top of open source protocols. I Everyone liked that. So uh, here's a bunch of tweets that I just like, put into a Photoshop. I got David.eth, uh, DavidEV.eth from Polygon saying Vanek understood the assignment, talking about, you know, uh, giving back to open source protocols. We got Light Clients, Matt, saying, wow, thank you. Uh, we got Liam saying public goods are good. We got Crypto Texan saying this is pretty badass. We got No Sleep John saying, based whoever runs the Vanek crypto stuff, Def has a .eth alt, probably. Uh, uh, some great stuff. Yeah, that's great good stuff. stuff. I mean, who said Wall Street was uh, just full of a bunch of greedy schmucks, yeah, huh? This right. is them giving back. Yeah. Hey, good job, Wall Street. Mm -hmm. We're not the only one that released an ETF as well, right? That's why we called it a derby because they're, the, the horses were off to the race. So mm -hmm. Bitwise as well was one of the others. Their ticker is AETH. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a couple of others as well. Be outshone Matt Hogan, who we've had him on the podcast, wrote this thread about why ETFs are such a great opportunity. Uh, we're not going to read it because it's actually about why Ether is such an opportunity because that's what is in an Ether ETF and why Ether is such a compelling asset. If we read this, uh, listeners would be like, guys, we've heard you guys say this 10,000 times. We know. Uh, the point <laughs> is that TradFi still doesn't, which is why Matt Hogan is writing this thread. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of the TLDR. Big question. Okay, now that Ether future ETFs are out in the market, how have they done? How did they do? Ryan, how did they do? Not great, David. Oh, Pretty oh, meh, honestly. <laughs> so Ether ETFs as a group, 2 million, that was their first day. And that's about normal for a new ETF. But if you compare that to the Bitcoin ETF, mm -hmm. that ETF. did 
the futures ETF that did 200 million in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay. At so, the top of a bull market in tw- October 2021. So very different, different phases of crypto acceptance. I don't know. Is that cope, David? Are you coping right now? Uh, I think Eric, actually, the ETF analyst, thinks this is still pretty a pretty good sign, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says this. I think for the crypto world, it would be dumb to get bummed about this. He's talking about the low volumes for the first day. If you are a long-term investor, you should look at these ETFs as new bridges being built to a wider TradFi audience that will facilitate traffic over time versus, say, a quick trade opportunity, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. I think if the listeners listening to this and they are bummed about, oh, like TradFi didn't like Ether, they don't like us, that means that it's still early. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> they will like us. And if it, this was like an absolute bang out of the gate, it would be it would mean that we are further along in the social maturation acceptance of Ether. So, I mean, this is just like, you know, it's still early dot JPEG. Yeah. Um, one thing we should specify, of course, this is a futures ETF. Bitcoin yeah. has already had a futures ETF for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. This is the first Ether futures ETF in, in the U.S. to be listed. Mm-hmm. And that is not as good as and not the same as an Ether spot ETF. Right. That's what we're That's all kind of gunning standard. for. Yeah, it's not futures. It's you, when you're actually buying the ETF, you're actually buying an IOU for Ether on the other side. That would be a spot ETF. And Bitcoin right. is, is gunning for that as well. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit different. And in good fashion, the Vanek Twitter account <laughs> tweets out in all caps, low volume, just like your JPEGs. Bro, who's running this account? <laughs> that one hurts, actually. Uh, there are some second-order effects here, too, Dave. This is uh, Brian Quintens. He says, By approving ETH ETFs based on ETH commodity futures contracts, the SEC has officially provided clarity on the ETH status as a non-security. Mm. He's saying, by approving an ETH futures ETF, now the uh, SEC has capitulated. Yes. Now this it's is- o- quite obviously a commodity or a non-security. Yes. This is an official statement implied that Ether is not a security by the SEC. Yeah. I, I think it's got to be. How, how yeah. else would this hold up in court? Yeah. Uh, Take from Nate Jurassic says that this just makes the inevitability of the Bitcoin spot ETF approval come sooner than expected. Uh, Matt Hogan says this, that I expect we'll see a spot Bitcoin ETF this calendar year. Whoa, mm. 2023? Wow. Yeah, uh, Vanek CEO says it looks like in early 2024, we will probably see a spot product. So, uh, I mean, just the likelihood of a spot Bitcoin ETF coming soon TM is up. On that note, there are a ton of pending ETFs related to crypto stuff. So there's like, uh, Van Eck Bitcoin Trust, Bitwise Bitcoin ETP Trust, iShares Bitcoin Trust, uh, ha- Franklin Bitcoin ETF, Grayscale's Ethereum Futures Trust. There's so many pending financial products, both spot and futures for Bitcoin and Ether that are waiting to get approved or denied uh, soon to yeah. Uh So the line to get access to get approval is large. Uh, and the claim here is that the SEC is running out of ways to say no. Um, it, one of the big news is here is that Grayscale filed to convert their ETH E trust, their Ether Ether trust, into an ETH ETF. So it, again, this is just like the amount of pressure, the amount of uh, like ETF approvals that are pushing on the door of the SEC, saying approve, 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 is like large. Eventually, that door is going to break. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that ETH. E- uh, price. I, I just looked at it a couple weeks ago. It was trading off like thirty percent right. ETH spot price, yeah. so thirty percent off NAV. I which, bet um, that's going to yeah. ca- catch a lot of people off guard. 
that could correct. Um, like fast. David, what do we got coming up next? Coming up next, the Celestia token, TIA, is out. We actually missed this last week, so we're covering it this week. Are you eligible? How valuable is Celestia? Uh, we'll talk about that. OP stack, finally getting some fault proofs. A day to think that layer two is on Ethereum. We're never getting fraud proofs. SEC gets another L in the Ripple case. How many L's can Kerry take before he retires? He's going for all-time <laughs> highs. We're going to get to all of that and more. But first, a moment to talk about some of this fantastic sponsor that make this show possible, especially MetaMask and MetaMask Portfolio. As you are gearing up to be bullish, make sure that you know how to use MetaMask Portfolio. If you already use MetaMask, you already have a MetaMask Portfolio, so you should go open it up there. It's a link in the show notes. Are you a MetaMask user? Well, you're listening to Bankless, so of course you are. The wallet you know and love just got a whole lot better. MetaMask Portfolio is the ultimate one-stop shop for all of your crypto needs. It gives you a holistic view of your crypto portfolio across multiple chains, and multiple addresses all at once. You can easily view and manage all your coins, tokens, and NFTs in one convenient place just by connecting your wallet. MetaMask Portfolio goes beyond just viewing your portfolio, though. Inside the portfolio, you can do all the incredible money verbs that make DeFi so powerful. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets with ease. It's like having a powerful battle station for all your DeFi moves right at your fingertips. So if you're looking to do more in Web3 your way, MetaMask Portfolio is the answer. I already know that you have MetaMask Wallet, so go check out your MetaMask portfolio. Learn more at metamask.io slash portfolio. Uniswap, it's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. Estia, which is a data availability network, just initiated its Genesis drop. They're dropping a token. It's called TIA. David, give us the details here. 6% of the total supply is being airdropped. That's 60 million tokens. Uh, so 20 million tokens are being airdropped to developers and researchers, including contributors to public goods and key protocol infrastructure, ETH research, and early builders of the modular ecosystem. 20 million TIA tokens are being airdropped to 576,000 on-chain addresses. Many of those are active users of Ethereum rollups. 20 million TIA to stakers and IBC relayers of the Cosmos Hub and Osmosis. Uh, and so this is one of the more interesting airdrops in that it is a multi-chain airdrop because Celestia is a modular data availability chain. It's meant to be in the multi-chain ecosystem. So air tokens are going to serve all the chains. Right. So like if you're a Cosmos user, an Ethereum rollup user, a core dev of Ethereum, like they're just spraying the tokens all over the place because uh, that's what makes sense in the modular world. Uh, Ryan, did you claim yours? No, I didn't, David, because uh, Gary says I can't. Um, oh, if huh. you live in the U.S., the Genesis drop is not available in your country. No, so no, no. It's been fully, fully geo-blocked uh, Thanks, because Gary. Gary doesn't want you to have free money. So Thanks, let's, uh, let's take how much money would Gary you have gotten? Again. I'm I'm actually not sure. It depends on the value of the token. But mm -hmm. I will tell you, Celestia's uh, implied valuation. This is a fully diluted valuation based on kind of the fully diluted market cap 
of um, TIA, all TIA tokens, 2.75 billion. Woo! Woo! That's big, right? That's large. Um, that's large. Like, it's to justify it, this is what a Masari analyst says, Celestia would need roughly 2x the roll-up adoption of Ethereum. Can it get there? So definitely uh, trading with some expectations on top of it. I also Fun fact, don't that know- would place Celestia at 28 market in market cap. 28 in 28. market cap. Right behind yeah, Mantle Network. So we'll, we'll see how well that holds up over time, of course. Uh, David, tell us about the three hours capital, guys. Oh, uh, I'd love we're, to. we're talking about bad boys of crypto and yeah. you know justice meeting them. What happened to Suzu this week? Yeah, so Suzu was arrested in an airport in Singapore, where he's been, while trying to travel out of the country. Interesting timing. Uh, the three hours capital liquidator. Uh, Tenno received a committal order against Suzu after he did not comply with a court order to cooperate with an investigation involving liquidation. The order has sentenced Sue to four months in prison and has also placed an order out against Kyle Davies, who has not been arrested, which I can only presume means that he is on the run. Uh, he He's been, been doing like CNBC interviews and such. Not in a while. Like, not like not, not in recently. a while, but like yeah. three months ago he was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quote from an article. As a result, Mr. Sue will be held in prison to serve his sentence of four months under the committal order, during which time the liquidators will seek to engage with him on matters relating to Three Arrows Capital, focusing on the recovery of assets that are either property of Three Arrows Capital or that have been acquired using Three Arrows Capital funds. The liquidators will pursue all opportunities to ensure Mr. Zhu complies in full with the court order made against him for provision of information and documents relating to Three Arrows Capital and his former investment manager during the course of his imprisonment. And thereafter, we'll make, uh, we'll may make applications for further court orders as required. So only four months in in jail. But I think, in my interpretation of this, is that it just starts there, and we will let this ball roll. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Singapore does not go lightly on this type of thing. Yeah, Um, David, OP Stack has some fault proofs live on Testnet. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Why is that a good thing? Yeah, the fault proofs, uh, a.k.a. Fought fraud proofs, these are the same things, these are synonymous, uh, has been probably the OP stack's biggest uh, void that needs to be filled. Uh, they've been working on their OP stack, they were working on Bedrock, and ever since Base was launched, their focus has been working on their fault proofs. Uh, their fault proofs are now live on testnet, so if everything goes according to plan and they don't need to rewrite anything, uh, they can slot that in right into the OP stack, and any... OP stack chain, which includes Optimism Mainnet, Base, Zora, Goods Network, excuse me, the OP stack chain will be able to insert the module of the fault proofs just like that. And then all of a sudden, every every OP stack chain will have fault proofs. On layer two beat, that means they get their badge. They get right? their badge. Which, yep. which of these badges is the state validation? They get that badge. Right mm-hmm. now it's uh, orange and that turns to yellow or green. Mm-hmm. One of those uh, two. That will go green. It'll go green. And look, not, again, not just green for one chain, green for all the chains, which is pretty cool. All OP stack chains. That's, yeah. a, that's a big move. I'm very excited. Move. Is yeah. there a call to action here about a security bounty too? Uh, yeah, there's a bounty out there. Uh, to bring fault proofs into production ASAP, OP Optimism is calling all security experts to help them test the alpha system and find bugs. Bounties up to $2 million and $42. Can't forget that <laughs> extra 42 yeah, 42 is important, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Gary G just eaten else yet again <laughs> in the court system. So, uh, you know, the case he lost with ripple, the mm-hmm. sec lost against yep. ripple. Well, sec lawyers appealed that and a judge just smacked him right down, 
said, nope, you can't appeal it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you already lost. Yep. That loss is now permanent. Uh, a federal judge rejected the SEC's bid to appeal its loss against Ripple. She says, the SEC has failed to meet its burden under the law to show that there were controlling questions of law or that there are substantial grounds for differences of opinion. You could try again in April 2024, apparently. That's the next time they can appeal. So Oof. Gary just getting smacked down again. Bill Hughes says this is pretty satisfying. I, I tend to agree with him. What's his take here? Uh, his take is that the SEC's uh, position in this motion is directly inconsistent with their position about the Howey test, basically calling Gary Gensler out for being uh, two-faced and you know <laughs> taking one side when it is convenient to him and a different side when it's also convenient to him. Um, the court saying, hey, no take backsies. Coming up next, David. Coming up next, we've got some questions from the nation. Are we even ready for a bull market? Man, some time to have some uh, self-reflection. <laughs> I think the, I am. The bald alignment chart, you can't miss that. <laughs> uh, and what are we bullish on this week? Of course, the usual. Uh, Bankless Nation, we're going to get to all of this and more. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1 with flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now, Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Layer 3, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you are a developer, enterprise, or user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. So visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app with Arbitrum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free of the week from our democrat are we ready for a new bull market the thinking here goes a uh, user interfaces security account abstraction roll-up maturity interoperability privacy on off ramp capabilities but also regulation our democrats take is that we could very well use another 12 months before we open our arms to the next wave of normies do you know what david i can't say i disagree with our democrat and this is clearly a uh a bankless listener is listening to a lot of episodes talking yeah. about the things that we still have to improve on. User interfaces, yeah. security, account abstraction, roll-up maturity. Feels like we could use some time in the oven. The one thing I'll say before throwing it to you is uh, 
I don't know that we necessarily get to choose when a bull market happens. I was happens. thinking the same thing. <laughs> I don't think it's up so, to us, brother. <laughs> unfortunately. But what do you think? Are we ready for a new bull market? Should the, the bull gods decide that it is time and a bull market has been b- bestowed upon us? Uh, you know, where will we feel some of the growing pains of that? I don't, I don't think we have ever been ready for a bull market. I don't think we ever will be <laughs> ready for a bull market. What does being ready for a bull market mean? It means that when people come into crypto for the first time, that they stay in crypto for, for goodsies. Like we have, they like perf- it. They, uh, they, they don't a get perfect one to one ratio of incomers yeah. to settlers. When, so like that, that's to me, it's like, when will we have a bull market where every single incomer stays as a crypto person? I don't think we're ever going to get there. We can always improve on that ratio, but like we, we had a bull market in 2013. We had a bull market in 2017. We had a bull market in 2021. We always lose people because we're never actually ready. Um, I think Art Democrat identified a bunch of things that could definitely use improvement on like, are we, is account abstraction ready? Uh, one out of 10 is account abstraction ready. Absolutely not. Um, yep. Interoperability, layer twos, uh, layer two abstraction. We are better. like three to four out of 10 on that. Um, on an on-ramp, off an on-ramp capability. That's definitely, better. Definitely improving. Yeah, I would say. Roll-up maturity, Regulation. four to five out of 10, maybe. Uh, security, ooh, dog shit. <laughs> two out of 10. <laughs> um, but the thing is, it's just like, we get better because of bull markets. And so, like, it, it, we, the bull market will identify the weaknesses. They will exploit the weaknesses. We will feel pain. And then we will solve those weaknesses. So are we ready for a bull market? No. Will we get one anyways? Yes. Will it ha- provide valuable motivation and identification of things we need to work on to be ready for the next bull market? Yes, it will. Another way to answer that is we are way more ready than last time. Always, <laughs> always. <laughs> so, like, I mean, last time Ethereum mainnet was like 10 to 15 transactions right. per second. Yeah. Now we have a whole bunch of cheap block space. Yeah. Right. So, so that's going to feel good. One of the things I, I think I'm most worried about for, for the next um, bull market in terms of like hacks is actually bridge risk, though, David. That's why it's really great to see, um, you know, the OP stack get fraud proofs right. yep. kind of together. And iron that out, but I still worry a lot about the brittleness of our bridges, particularly in this multi-chain environment. Are you talking and, about the, uh, the canonical can, bridges? Not the canonical bridges so okay. much. That's like smart contract risk. Yeah, yeah, once yeah, we yeah. get fraud proofs down, I'm talking about just all of the um, bridges from you know Arbitrum to Optimism uh, or Cosmos to somewhere else, all the cross-chain okay. type stuff. Yeah. Um, that's a worry point for me. Yeah. Th- there are others, but. Um, we're more ready than last time Way is what more. I would say. In particular, our block space is going to be a lot cheaper. Yeah. Uh, so that at least is good. Some takes of the week. This first one is from Mike Dudas. Here's what he says. We're actually in the very beginning stages of the and then you win phase, but you wouldn't believe it. I <laughs> think that's, that, that's perfect. Just mic drop. We are. We, what, what? It feels like we are winning. Other than the prices, it feels like we are winning. Where does it feel like we're winning? Financial uh, well, markets, ETFs right yeah. now. E- ETFs, getting ETFs, yeah. getting more ETFs okay. soon. Gary taking the L's. We're getting regulatory clarity. Um, yeah, those are some big ones. Uh, yeah, f- I think layer proofs. two adoption yeah. has been great. Yeah, patching up fault proofs before they break, which is the correct order of operations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
definitely some wins here. Uh, take from David Hoffman this week. I'll read it out. In the last two weeks, I've heard the take, the SBF overhang of crypto is gone multiple times. Kevin Owaki after visiting Capitol Hill. Matt Hogan discussing TradFi clients and interests. And the SBF trial begins this week too. Soon, we will be totally rid of SBF's curse. David, do you think SBF has cursed this industry and we're getting ready to cast away that curse? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's taken a long time for us to get one year, actually, to get rid of at the curse of SBF. Like, oh, crypto, it's the SBF thing. Like, we're getting rid of that. Uh, Awaki said and when he was in Capitol Hill that the stank of SBF seems to have mostly lifted. The opportunists who used SBF and the FTX implosion to advance their agenda last year have played their hands already implying that like anyone who wants to use the FTX as like to gouge the knife into crypto, they've already done that and they don't have any more juice to squeeze there. Uh, Matt Hogan says that um, as soon as BlackRock filed their Bitcoin ETF, clients stopped being concerned or like raising the topic of FTX and SBF. And this is before we put SBF in jail for decades, right? So once that happens, then like... What, what do you mean uh, SBF is crypto? We put him in jail. Like, he's not crypto. That's gone. Unless he, get, unless he gets acquitted, David. He's not hey, acquitted. FTX creditors are made whole. <laughs> <laughs> and SBF returns to the throne. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wouldn't that, that be a dark ending to this whole that. thing? No, I, I tend to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Here's my this, take. You should yeah. read mine. Okay. Because I read yours. Right, Adam says, people talk about crypto-friendly countries, but we should be asking what type of friendly. Because there's Wall Street friendly, and then there's citizen friendly. Wall Street friendly gives economic freedoms to banks and institutions. Securities, clarity, stable coins, and ETFs are all Wall Street freedoms. Citizen friendly gives freedom to individual citizens. Right to encryption, right to custody of your own assets, right to peer-to-peer commerce. These are citizen freedoms. I expect most jurisdictions to grant Wall Street crypto freedoms eventually, but citizen freedoms, citizen freedoms will be a fight. I love this dichotomy. I love this dichotomy. I mean, this came after our episode with uh, Sandy when we were talking about Hong Kong, and that yeah. episode's going to be on your bankless listener, your your, your feed here Wednesday, pretty soon. Wednesday. But um, yeah, it very much struck me that even, even some of these ETF wins and some of these uh, security mm-hmm. wins in court, these are still kind of the surface right. level Wall Street freedoms, yep. and they're they're worth fighting for, and they're good for crypto, and I, I couldn't be more pleased, and I think we eventually win there. But what I'm more worried about is the actual citizen freedoms. So I'm, I'm worried about us being able to go through kind of the full DeFi gauntlet and preserve that as an open, permissionless, censorship-resistant uh, protocol that anybody in the world with an internet connection can use without having to use a state ID, AML, KYC, without it being controlled by some sort of centralized gatekeeper or intermediary. Those are some of the freedoms, like the right to encryption, the right to privacy, the, the ability for me to pay you, David, without some, you know, eye of Sauron kind of watching that transaction with the ability to kind of gatekeep it. That's what I worry about. And those are the things that I think bankless cares most about. And if we just get the banker freedoms, but we don't get these citizen freedoms, I'm not feeling great about what we've accomplished. (laughs) I mean, it's maybe incrementally better, but it's it's more of the same. Right. So it's worth fighting for um, more ahead, I guess. Right. Is it fair to have this be the dichotomy between the West and the East, the Wild West and the civilized East? Like, I think so. Yeah. I like that. I've, I think you said that at the end of a recent podcast. You were like, hey, now, you know, we're going East a little bit. Yeah. And that's great. 
Let's go. The east, east is being That's developed. Fine. Yeah. The east is being developed, but we can't like the west. let it. Yeah. We we can't let it shift the, the the real frontier here, which is this is about open permissionless money system for the yeah. entire world for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those are our takes of the week, David. What do we got? What's um What's on your mind for being bullish? What are you bullish on? Yeah. One of the themes I've been noticing lately is this: like, there's frustration with the crypto prices, um, mainly from myself, but also from others. <laughs> while there's so much good news, so like, what is with that juxtaposition? I thought good news means good crypto prices. There is a gap between all the good news that's happening. Gary taking the L's, getting the ETFs, but the prices are absolute dog shit. Uh, what's up with that? That is called opportunity, my friend. <laughs> that is the difference between those two things is what you should be bullish about. If you have conviction and you're seeing good news happen and you are seeing prices get cheaper, that should be awesome for you. And so that's what I'm bullish on, the gap between the positive news and the negative crypto prices. Yeah, it's a good buying opportunity. Is what you're good saying, buying opportunity. Right? Yep, yep. What are you bullish on, Ryan? I, I got to say the ETFs, the futures ETFs. Mm. I mean, I... Um, been in crypto for a while, um, you know, Bitcoin um, first and then uh, Ether. And I remember Ether in the early days. I mean, just this new, weird internet money crypto asset that was programmable. And to see it seven years later, now it's an ETF form. ETF form is, is, is not just, it's not just about the liquidity. To me, it's about kind of the, the legitimacy. Mm-hmm. This is like been adopted by financial markets, right? It has no banking, has no centralized company, has no 10Ks, no SEC statements, doesn't register anywhere, and it's worth $200 billion and you can get it in your Schwab account, right? And, and that took seven years, but that's relatively short compared to like where we've come from. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a weird internet money. It's like a, a digital asset, and we've gotten this far in such a short period of time. And so when I look back on that, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty blown away at our progress actually. And so that's what I'm bullish on this increasing legitimacy of this asset class. And now we've leaked into wall street. We've got, got them, got them in. This is kind of a Trojan horse. And, uh, it's pretty cool when you look back uh, at how much we've accomplished over this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now they're on our side. That's right. That's right. Uh, David, we got a really good meme of the week. Okay. Yeah, this, this is going to take some time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are we looking at here? Uh, we are looking at one of the uh, classic Dungeons and Dragons alignment charts. Uh, the chaotic neutral, uh, chaotic good, lawful neutral, except chaotic and all that stuff is replaced by bald or receding or hairy. <laughs> yeah, it's a hair joke. We got bald good in the top left corner with Brian Armstrong. Of course, he's super Who bald else? and he's also good. We got bald neutral Jeremy Allaire, uh, the creator of USDC. <laughs> Is that is he good? Is he bad? Is he playing regulatory arbitrage? He's a stablecoin maxi, that's for sure. So he gets bald neutral. Uh, and then there's bald evil coming in hot with Gary Gensler, bald <laughs> of course. Uh, going into, I, I guess I'm explaining these one by one. Uh, <laughs> I think it's keep going. I, I got it. Can't stop here. Uh, we got receding <laughs> good Vitalik Buterin with a very high hairline and clearly good. Uh, we got receding neutral with Hayden Adams. This is controversial. Yeah, is, is Hayden I mean, uh, neutral? He definitely got pushed out of receding good by Vitalik. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, I would put Hayden Adams in receding good. 
but that place is taken by Vitalik. You could have yeah. been there too, right? <laughs> I could have been there too. I know. <laughs> but uh, Vitalik, I mean, he's, yeah, he's the best. No, no way. Yeah. We got Receding Evil with Suzu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got Harry Good with Jesse Powell from Kraken. Uh, Harry well, Neutral. Well uh, yeah, very well praised. Uh, Harry Neutral, which is, uh, God, Jack, Dor- Jack Dorsey of Twitter. Uh, My God, Harry- that is a... That, that is a, a hard picture that, of, of, of Jack. That is a Gandalf beard that we are looking at. Gandalf Dorsey right <laughs> and there. And then we just got Harry Evil with Sam. <laughs> no way, that's Freed. a real picture. That is a real picture. He's tromping on a cucumber, bro. That is a that's real a picture. cucumber? A full that, cucumber? That is a it's cucumber. Not even a, it's not a jumbo pickle or anything? He's just going that straight is, for the I'm cucumber. Pretty, huh? Well, he's vegan. So, yeah. So, Sam Bankman Free just <laughs> sucking on a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> Harry A. Wow. I will what say, out of the hairiest... Sam Bankman Free, just absolutely wild, wiry hair. Yeah. Uh, uh, no Jack Dorsey, there. just like wild, wiry beard. Uh, Jesse Powell, f- flow, just flow, Very, locks, yeah. just well put elegant together. blonde locks. You gotta love Some it. Of the best hair in crypto. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank yeah. you, sponsor Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what this was all for, huh? <laughs> Teeing up for that. <laughs> all right, disclosures for you guys. Uh, David and I mentioned optimism, I believe, in the show mm-hmm. today. David and I are both investors and advisors to optimism. And of course, you know, David and I hold ETH. I'm sure we talked about ETH Just a little, little bit. bit with those ETFs coming this week. Got to let you know, we are long-term investors. We're not journalists. We don't do paid content, but there's always a link to the Bankless Disclosures in the show notes at bankless.com slash disclosures. I need to end with this. You know, crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in. It could recede your hairline, (laughs) make you go bald. (laughs) But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. (laughs) 